Hi, I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, this is Sarah Trott. Welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm here today with Stephanie and with Esther. And Stephanie Stewart is going to introduce herself today. And before we let her do that, I want to remind all of our podcast listeners that we have a website, which is fourthtrimesterpodcast.com. And we encourage you to go there and check out all of the articles and recipes and sponsorship opportunities that we have on our site. So if you haven't thought about sponsoring us, please do. We would love that. Thank you so much. And Stephanie, hi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, Why don't you kick off telling us a little bit about your background and what you do and how you got to doing what you're doing? Sure. Well, um, I started um, as a psychiatrist, so mental health was always uh, just, it it was a primary concern coming out of medical school and seeing all the different options of fields one can go into and saying, you know, well, I've seen a lot of people where their bodies are in great shape, but their minds are torturing them. And I've seen the inverse, where people are in terrible, debilitating conditions, and because they have a good mindset and they're hopeful and positive, they just, you know, they can lose their hands and say, well, I'll just learn to paint with my toes kind of thing, and and life keeps going for them, and it's amazing. So it felt like going into mental health was, um, it's kind of like the toy and the body was a bit like the box that the toy came in. So I um, went down that path and also also I love it because it incorporates your own everyday wisdom into tools that can become useful. Um, So for example, meditation or uh, art can become therapy, drama can become therapy, music can become therapy. So for me, it seemed much more interesting and uh, infinite than you know, any of the other body systems. So I went through med school and went into psychiatry, did my residency at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles, and then started a wellness center there in LA. And um, I brought a lot of things that I felt like... Um, only a certain section of the population either knew about or uh, felt called to do meditation and yoga and other things. So I kind of brought some of those to the hood and to people who didn't normally have access or understanding or maybe just felt a little intimidated by it. And so that was a beautiful experience working with inner city, um, chronically mentally ill people. Um, using some modalities that were a bit more natural and alternatives or complements to medications. One of those complements was getting outside of their normal circumstances. And so it, that ended up becoming a, 
creation of travel therapy. So that was my passion that I led into having as part of my treatment. And so I would take people on particular adventure travel retreats. So I would take people pretty much around the globe to some of the best surf spots in the world. And we would surf. And those insights coming through nature and coming through using your body and, you know, some of the talks that we would have on the road really led to some change in my patients. That all stopped when I chose to focus on my family and I got pregnant last year. Now I'm a mom. You sure are. (laughs) So now you're a mom and are you a passionate surfer? Yeah. (laughs) And it happened to be something that you could use and incorporate into your therapy. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. Like when you call it a retreat, I would want to go on a surfing retreat. (laughs) So did I. That's kind of why I created it. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think that anything that you do that's getting you out in nature and it's getting your body moving and it's, you know, it's medicine, getting out of your comfort zone, gaining new perspective. It's medicine. I think that's helpful for parents and non-parents alike, but I think especially as parents, mm-hmm. those types of activities define you. I'm a surfer or I am a ballerina or I, I am whatever I am is important in addition to being parent. I think so often we're faced with the overwhelm of a new baby and we imagine that we already are supposed to know everything at the, or that it'll come instinctively. Well, I know that surfing does not come instinctively to me for sure. Like there's nothing about it that seems like anything I've ever done before. Um, and I, I had a lot of confidence and curiosity about being a new mom. It wasn't, wasn't necessarily enough <laughs> to save me, but, um, but I, all, but I do think there's, that's a, an edge for new parents is, um, are they going into it with a kind of curiosity and maybe tr- also trepidation that I'm sure your clients have when you say we're going to get on a yeah. a board out in a roiling ocean yeah. and we're actually going to make it out alive. Um, <laughs> but it'd be nice if we could find a way to cultivate that in pregnant parents, right? Like, hey, this is going to be like surfing. <laughs> yeah. Or like doing, playing a musical instrument you never even thought you could ever try to play before it's going to be like that. You're going to have to feel your way through a lot of moments. Mm -hmm. um, Some of which will be very frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's kind of the key to why uh, that was, that was the hope to doing some of these activities was that it brings people into this moment Mm -hmm. And you can't be thinking about your taxes when it's time to catch the wave or your Or how you look. (laughs) Or how you look. Definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Contrary to popular TV. Yeah. Um, And being a parent's the same way. You know, I think that getting into that moment and really being present with your child, it's, it's almost like telepathy at work. Like 
they can't speak to you or tell you what you need. Um, and that can feel like pressure that you have to have this instinct to know what to do. But I think that if you're really present and you're really there with them and can let go of other things, which is also hard, especially for people that are used to kind of having it together or think, liking the things they have together. And may have read three books before they ever had a baby about babies yeah. Yeah. They, that they think that's all you had to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think just really getting, being present there with them and beginning to know your own baby. It's not some instinct that you gain biologically because you're a woman, which, I mean, some of that's there. And some interesting recent studies on how women's brains grow during pregnancy. Women's brains grow as opposed to their partner. Now, and it's the part that involves empathy, seeing what that other person might be feeling or needing. So there is some uh, biology that's there to help us out. There's quite a lot, actually. And it sounds like you were touching on the notion of identity earlier. Yeah. That in addition, it's helpful to have your own sense of self. You're, you're not defined as I am the mother of my child. Right. And that's one part of your life. And it's an extremely important part. But also, in addition to being a parent, you have your own your own identity and your own things that you have going on, which, of course, later on down the line, help you model right model something for your child an interest or a passion for something exactly that's so important and it may go on pause for a while while your baby's at an age where they need more attention but i think it is very important to have that core identity and for those people who don't have it yet or feel like they don't have a thing you know that they call themselves um I think having a child can be a good point in time to kind of think about that and find that because you know, you, what do you want to teach them? What kind of model or parent do you want to be for them? And yeah, maybe a time you have a little bit of a head start. You know, if you have never played the guitar before, that might be a time where you get a little bit into it and then learn these things together with your kid. They'll probably catch up and pass you because <laughs> they're just their little brains are sponges. But it gives you time to think about, you know, what is maybe something I want to take up, and and really using that as sort of a therapeutic process. You know, if it's pottery or if it's you know, something, even once a month, it adds up. Even if that's all you can do, and it doesn't feel like much. Cooking's good. Cooking's great can get really interested in how to nourish yourself and your family. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a sentence of any kind. It might just be a cre creativity project. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Try something new. Yeah. Well, it's nutrition is vital for mental health. And I think people pair that a lot with physical health, which obviously it is important for your physical health too, but I don't think people really think about nutrition and their mental health. I get people all the time come to me and say, oh, what's the side effect of this pill? 
but they're not really thinking about the side effect of their french fries or their, you know, Coca-Cola. Taco Bell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you can really sugar, think of it the same sugar. way. I mean, Coca-Cola is a perfect example. It's loaded with sugar and caffeine, and both of those are psychoactive. They affect your brain. They affect your thought processes. How is the brain affected by sugar or other things? The way that I like to think about it, the kind of aha moment was when I thought about how our distant ancestors might have come across sugar. You know, you might come across some berries every blue moon, and that would be so exciting. You know, you wouldn't come across anything with concentrated amounts of sugar. Fruit would be it, and that really is like that's candy. So it's it's pretty rare naturally, and our bodies aren't meant to process nearly as much as we get. I saw a TED Talk that showed how much sugar a child, an average American child, gets by the time they've hit kindergarten. He brought out wheelbarrows full of sugar. There's a sort of euphoric quality. You feel good. It's satisfying. Mm-hmm. It gives you a boost of energy, but just as quickly, very quickly, there's a decline and a drop and a bottoming out, and then all of it follows your energy, mood, concentration. So if someone is experiencing the baby blues and then they crash off of sugar, is that helping anything? That's one of the worst roller coasters to get on. But it's so, you know, it's so difficult because dealing with a baby, you're dealing one everything one-handed, you know. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to make any kind of nutritious meals and the things that are prepackaged and easy and ready tend to be super processed, lots of sugar, lots of salt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think most people are pretty conscientious during the pregnancy of what's going in their body. But the fourth trimester is a really important time because that is bringing yourself back to life. You know, you so important to nourish yourself. And a lot of people... It's really hard. I mean, myself included, it's really hard to eat properly. Once the baby's out of you and suddenly your responsibility of taking care of yourself is now living and breathing outside of you, feeling like it's separate from you. Mm-hmm. When you're still just as connected to that child, even though it may not be a physical you know, cord between you two anymore, but there's an emotional cord, there's an energetic cord, and they feel... Your emotions, the babies don't even know that they're separate from you for the first trimester. They're feeling what you're feeling. And so by having those swings and sugar highs and lows and crashes and burns, your baby's going through it just as much as they were in the womb. You've worked with so many parents on a variety of issues. Like a lot of our listeners are pregnant or new parents or, you know, family members or caregivers working with new parents. Given your experience, what are the kinds of messaging that you would want to share with our listeners? Well, I think that the community is so important and the generations above us are so important. That's one thing. Our culture doesn't really have the same kind of 
central core around a baby, you know, this idea that it takes a village. It's so true. And I think that people strive in this day and age, in this society, culture for independence. And that's great. You know, you don't want to be dependent, but independence isn't the end of the road. It's interdependence where you're connected with one another and helping out and giving back and everybody benefits. You know, the babies benefit from the grand, the grandparents benefit from having a little one around and aunties and uncles, we all get familiar and practice. So then when it's your turn, you've taken care of maybe a sibling's kid for a while and it, and it's very good for the babies to see different faces and attitudes and, you know, stimulation in different ways. So that's, that's a huge message, you know, and if you don't have that family support, um, just beginning to reach out and build the community around you of other new parents. It's a great time to connect with other people because everybody feels in the same boat. I know some who started these mommy and me groups and 10 years later, that core group is still meeting and going and taking vacations together. And that's kind of their circle. There's a, there's a group out there that are going to get some unsolicited, um, uh, advertising for me, but, um, music together Mm -hmm. is fun and low key and, little, little babies go (laughs) and parents and grandparents take them and it's pretty interactive and, um, you get to learn new songs that you might not know and, uh, meet, meet parents and grandparents there. So yeah, Yeah, they're a great little group. It's a great little group. Yeah. And I do see the other parents at the playgrounds Mm -hmm. from that class. I recognize the kids and Mm-hmm. It is it's so true, community. And it feels so good, as you say, to hear someone say, yeah, I find that hard too. Yeah. Or I've got an idea for that, mm-hmm. whatever it is. Yeah, the isolation is <clears throat> so, that's a real red flag for your own mental health. You know, as a mom, mm-hmm. when you start to feel isolated, and some of that's going to be natural because you're tethered to the kid and you know feeding constantly and changing but even as preventative maintenance you know if you know this is coming up go ahead and start getting those plans together get a little schedule one thing a day to do mm-hmm. no more no less <laughs> I mean you know one thing to accomplish or one little class to go to and begin to set those routines because the kids need the routines and you need the routines as well. Um, in Jasmine Dunkel's class, I'm going to reference her connection to us here and hopefully we'll get her on the show pretty soon. She talked about strategic abandonment. And by that, she means... Um, letting go of the things that are uh, a lot of pressure and don't matter that much. Right. So that you have room to get out of the house or uh, do something more mentally and mood nourishing. Um, 
So, you know, don't worry about cleaning the bathroom today if really you'd be much better off to get outdoors with your baby and uh, meet up with somebody and have a healthy snack (laughs) while you're out there. Absolutely. Your priorities shift and it's important to let your own uh, to-do list shift as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think having the housework not trump the connection with people out in the world, right? you know, um, and Another strategy that friends and I did when we were all new moms is we cook together. Mm-hmm. So we get groceries and show up at one person's house and, you know, just cook through the day and take care of the babies as needed and sort of pass around the chores, but then maybe go home with enough meals for a week, fantastic. <laughs> you know, and we could, and that was, and, and it was fun because we might have, you know, somebody else's recipe that we get to eat and have never eaten or, or from their family tradition, you know, their, mm-hmm. their ethnic background could come forward and everybody could benefit from that. Mm-hmm. And so, and it also meant that we could do a little bit of um, fun research alone and together to bring to that Thing we were going to be doing once a week or however often, whenever That's lovely. I mean, it really sounds like the way that um, people did it long, long mm-hmm. ago, mm-hmm. and people still do today, but yes. it's not necessarily in the West. Yeah, not, it's not um, that same kind of support structure that's inherent, and creating it yourself is is really vital. Mm-hmm. It's not the same through Skype. <laughs> no, it isn't. I mean, you need to touch other people. Yeah. Touch them. Yeah. Um, uh, I myself belong to a wonderful expressive arts group, and it involves, amongst other things, uh, things uh, authentic movement. Yes. And um, and uh, and art. You know, we work with pastels or paint or things like that, or even other medium. Um, so, uh, in your wellness groups, uh, how do you get people to move their bodies? I love the travel well idea. And I, of course, the idea of going on a surf vacation is both terrifying and <laughs> really exciting. It'd be wonderful That's to learn to point. surf before yeah. I'm 60, <laughs> um, which isn't long from now. So, okay. um, <laughs> Uh, but maybe you can talk a little more about movement practice with, with your clients and in groups, mm-hmm. things that you think work for people. And- yeah. So we did something um, based on, uh, I'm totally, I'm mommy brain right now, blanking right. on her name, but her first name is Gabrielle, and she does the five rhythms. Uh, I've heard of this, yeah. Yeah, and um, this is kind of like you said, authentic movement is a good description. You're just moving the way that your body wants to move, kind of letting your body move you. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in 
in this practice, there are five different types of movements. Stillness, jerky movements, flowing movements, and different types. And so um, that was one thing that we did at the Wellness Center. Um, Another was just have a straight-up dance party. We just put on music, and people just danced however they felt like it. The point was reiterating that there's no judgment around it. You know, you're just dancing like nobody's watching. There's no steps or... Which you can do with your baby if you have a music source, right? Yeah, you even can uh, just your put phone. Put on the tunes, yeah. yeah <laughs> put on the tunes and move around or sing Kids and move around at the same time. <clears throat> and it's really important for your own body to get back in into movement and into shape and getting things back in place after pregnancy and just strengthening your muscles because there's a lot of new stuff that you're using that never used before Um, and getting that back and arms and legs strong again so you don't throw out your your back really (laughs) so um it's you know there's a wonderful book called spark that talks about movement and the brain and this was another just mind-blowing book one of my very favorites and one of the things that it said that stood out to me was that, you know, there are all kinds of living things. Trees and plants are living just as much as you and I. They're breathing. Um, but they don't have brains. And the, and the correlation between uh, a brain and movement is basically the only things that have brains are things that move. And so your brain is absolutely fueled by movement and movement is critical for your mental health and your brain function. Um, otherwise you, you just wouldn't have one. You'd be a tree. You'd be very much alive, but you wouldn't, you know, have or need that movement piece. And so, um, again, just like people think about movement and how good that is for their physical health. They don't really realize I think it comes once you do exercise. A lot of people know, you know, oh, I feel really great. My mood improves. But the science behind it has only been more recent, and it's staggering how much movement uh, improves. Scores in school for kids. They did some shifting around and had PE first thing in the morning, and the kids' grades went through the roof. And there are just some amazing um, actual data now to show how important movement is for mental health. Um, Food is important for mental health and activity is important for mental health. It seems that everything seems to be interrelated here. It is. It is. Um, uh, I'm reminded of my daughter's going to be 40 in uh, next December. Um, and I'm reminded of something that I found out the year, the year she was Stewie's age. (laughs) Um, I heard this thing on the TV that they had had a decathlete, like an adult male decathlete. So it does 10 different sports, Right. Follow a toddler. (laughs) 
And the idea was you're just going to do everything the toddler does for a day and see how you do. After two hours, the decathlete was exhausted. (laughs) So I often tell mamas, like, listen, if you just try doing what your baby does, right? Like Stewie's doing jumping jacks on my thighs right now, right? Just pushing up squats, squats, squats. If you just did that, your pelvic floor and your abs would start to really take off like a rocket. Now, wait till you're about four to six weeks, but Stewie's not doing this at six weeks, right? He's doing it at four months. (laughs) Um, But the point is, I think there may be something not necessarily magical, but a little something in what babies do when they're moving that could really, really help us do something important too. And I always with my clients in the first two weeks, we talk about uh, quiet alert and active alert babies and how to sort of respond to them and know what they need in those states. And, um, you know, just like sleep states, they're going in and out of these uh, states mm-hmm. pretty, pretty often, right, throughout the day and night. Um, but if you're following your baby, if you're lucky enough to have the time to follow your baby, you really can get a, <laughs> a lot of good activity and a lot of good rest and a lot of good mind time. Uh, you know, babies in quiet alert are, their minds are turned on and they're doing what for us as adults is probably a meditative practice. Like we have to, we have to stop and do that thing, right? Well, babies are doing it very normally, naturally. Um, so it's just something to (laughs) contemplate, uh, as you're with your baby, could I be doing what they're doing right now? What would that be like? True. I know. What's the impulse we're coming from? Yeah. And, and sleep when the baby sleeps (laughs) is the advice that I got all through pregnancy and early age and Mm -hmm. kind of had to learn that one on my own the hard way. <laughs> yeah. First, it's just so fascinating to have them and just mesmerized by them when they're sleeping and staying up watching them. Oh, well, I can just get these dishes done real quick. Sure. Oh, yeah. I can just, you know. <laughs> More really. people have sunk into anxiety as a result of doing dishes, I think. <laughs> Than we uh, than we necessarily have given credit for. I think that's another important point is that um, you know it's 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 been more talked about in the last couple of years, postpartum depression and um, and mental health in general. Mm-hmm. But there is a lot of. Um, sort of shame and stigma around the issue that's really very difficult. You know, there's this idea that once you have a baby, you're like, this is the happily ever after. So fortunate and lucky and such a blessing, which is true. But there is, there's challenging side. And Postpartum depression is so common, and baby blues are almost ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. It's 
And postpartum psychosis is more common than a lot of people even care to mention. Um, I think people will talk about postpartum depression, but still crossing that line into you know, thinking thoughts that feel intrusive, that aren't your own, that are scary, thoughts about hurting the baby or hurting yourself or just really becoming so uh, anxious and and concerned that it crosses a line into becoming paranoid and fearful. These are realities for a lot of people, um, and they're not talked about enough and recognized enough until, fortunately, sometimes things go bad. Mm-hmm. And that can all be prevented with just awareness and early intervention, mm-hmm. getting some help when you need it, yeah. taking the shame out of it, because there is no shame in it. Our, these things are hormonal, hormonally based, and with all the flux in our hormones after a pregnancy, and then the crash after those good time hormones have come down, and the sleep deprivation on top of that, and the huge responsibility, and maybe relationship concerns, financial concerns, it all adds up, and that's a time to really get help um, if you're needing it. And you do need it. Public health is preventative, is a preventative strategy as well, right? Because it means making sure there's somebody on your team who can compassionately help you assess yourself when you are feeling, you know, edgy and not sure. Um, It's like good to anticipate that. That's right. Better to not need it and have it. <laughs> That's ideal. Than not have it and need it. Mm-hmm. And even with people who have seemingly all the resources and all the help, just simply your own internal process can lead you there. And, you know, when it's time to be honest with yourself and recognize, that, hey, it's time for some help because you're precious cargo now. Mm-hmm. Well, and there's nothing wrong with asking for help. In fact, it's a point to be proud of. You know, it's it's almost just part and parcel with being a parent. This is just another thing to take care of, and it happens to be me. So if someone were interested in going outside, their baby in the stroller, and taking a walk, and maybe going on a new path, new part of the neighborhood they haven't been to before, or wherever it is, go to the beach or something, or the park. We don't all live in California. Well, could they do any kind of exercises that take them along the kinds of like travel therapy that that it's more of a mindset than even necessarily physically getting out of your area? It might be a time when people don't feel like they can travel as much, even though I highly recommend it. This is the age you can just kind of wrap them them on a sling and go. Um, and if that's part of your makeup, which is a part of mine, um, you know, it's, it's important to do that. Uh, I agree. Three months, five months is easier than a walking 12 months. I can attest that on an airplane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, are there certain questions like, or prompts or things to think about that you might encourage someone to think about when they're going down this new street or new path? I think this, this, uh, concept of mindfulness is really important. Just being in the moment, 
And that allows for you to be there with your child with the kind of attention that they feel, you know, they get it. If you're on your phone while you're feeding them or you're scattered other places and just kind of giving them the bare minimum. Um, and if you're really put present there with them, um, and that's the flip side to the uh, strategic abandonment mm -hmm. of letting go of the things that don't matter and reprioritizing, you know, what is important right now. This baby is only going to be a baby for a few months, mm -hmm. and I'll only be breastfeeding or bottle feeding for a relatively short period of time. And, to, you know, make those, I think feeding time in particular is really important to stop everything else and be present there. If you're breastfeeding, if you're bottle feeding, just, you know, setting those beginning foundations, being mindful and tuning in and having that special bonding time with them. And that can continue for their whole lives. It right? really should. Yeah, that a meal is a time that you also connect with your people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and this is in a lot of the treatment of eating disorders, it comes back to just being present with your body, with your food, with the way you feel. Um, and so setting those good habits early for yourself and for your child, it's an important time out time. The, um, I just wanted to circle back to the mindfulness just briefly and say to parents who maybe <laughs> haven't tried it, right, or, or think of it as some, you know, uh, special, special technique um, that uh, the technique of mindfulness, the practice of mindfulness is actually practice. Like it's always practicing bringing your attention back to the moment. So you're going to find that you've, that you're not doing that and you're going to notice that, oh, gee, I was thinking about the dishes while out here in the, on this wonderful stroll, right? The practice is the moment of noticing you were thinking about dishes and bringing yourself back to I'm on this beautiful trail and I'm noticing the birds and the bushes blooming and the baby's really moving around, enjoying this right now. It's baby sleeping peacefully. And that's the practice of mindfulness. It's not being the perfect yogi who never, whose attention never strays. Of course, not at all. It's the moment of coming back and coming back and coming back. And um, in other words, it's okay to stray. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's totally. You can't. It's, you can't um, stop your mind from having things pop into it. Right. But you can stop it from going further and running with it. Yeah. Yes. It I always say is think that you're think about being on the platform at the station, right? And you see the train, and I call it the train of thought, right, coming down and it's got the dishes on it and the <laughs> the car parking and the blah blah blah, right? And it's gonna stop at the station. You could get on it and take it all the way down to the end of the line and never ever enjoy this moment at the platform on the platform. Right. Um, so it's you know, or you could be on that train and maybe you just want to jump off 
at the next stop. Um. <laughs> One of the ways that I uh, help people get into that mindful moment is, you know, as you're on your walk, just think about your five senses. And right now, what am I seeing? Focus on the leaves fluttering or, you know, a little butterfly or whatever you're seeing. What are you hearing? Uh, what are you feeling? How is your skin feeling? Is the sun shining on your skin? Is there a breeze? Um, if there's a taste in your mouth from lunch or whatever, you know, what are you saying? What, what is going on in your five senses in your body? And that really helps bring it out of your head and into your body and less into the moment. And that's why movement works so well because you're out of your head and into your body. Your, your energy can only go so many places at a time. This is why we get tired after we eat. It's, you know, it's <laughs> all that energy is going to digestion. If you're really doing something with your body, it's much harder, especially something kind of pushing your edge, maybe even a little dangerous. It's a mindfulness practice because you can't you know, have your mind wander mm -hmm. too much. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I have the most beautiful vision in my mind now of <laughs> walking through a garden and seeing those leaves and that butterfly. So I'm going to do that today. <laughs> and listeners, I hope that you find your moment to do the same and to or or just be mindful that instead of doing those dishes, taking a nap would be what's right. So we're going to say goodbye to you, Stephanie, and to Stewie, who's been a wonderful bonus guest on our podcast today. <laughs> and just thank you so much for your thoughts and what you've shared with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you yeah. very much. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having us. This information is so important. As a final reminder, as we sign off, I'll and ask you to sponsor us again <laughs> and to um, invite you to listen to our other other podcast episodes. Um, we touched on a lot of interesting topics. We just published Lisa Abramson's um, conversation and Lisa experienced the postpartum psychosis that you were talking about, a rather extreme case. And she's been doing a lot of talking about that. So please check out that episode too. And we hope you have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. You can find out more about Esther Gallagher on estergallagher.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband, Ben, daughter, Penelope, and baby girl, Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you You got your wheels, you got your gears you ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake